the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Family are greatly blessed. Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. Come and draw from the well of salvation.
a great wave of God's power is about ready to sweep over America. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. That wave of God that is going to come sweeping over America, yes, it will be revival, but it will not be the kind of revival that you might expect. It will be a revival dealing with your sin and calling you to repent. And combined with that, the sweeping wave of God's power is going to be a wave of God's judgment on America. It's going to be a judgment that will destroy finances, that will cause food to disappear. It will be a very painful judgment. It is God's wake-up call to America. Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen: If ye shall seek me and find me, ye shall seek me and find me, when you shall search for me with all of your heart. Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen. It's going to be in this revival a time of great searching after God. It's not going to be the hazy, lazy days of summer where thousands perhaps line up to be taken down into the ocean and baptized and then go back and continue to live in their sinful lives. It is not going to be like that. That's already happening in some places, but it's going to be a much different kind of experience. As you know, I fell and broke my leg back in April. I'm finishing my fourth month and beginning five months of severe discipline from God. Spending my time in prayer and, and scripture. He will heal me. I don't know when. But I'll tell you one thing. I am seeking after Jesus with all of my heart. And he promised I would find him. So I'm going to share with you a story of revival. I shared it before on this radio station. I'm sharing it with you and hoping that you, as you hear it, won't just say, oh, I've heard that before, I'm done, and check out. No, I'm praying that you will listen to the story and begin to apply the lessons learned to your life in preparation for this great wave of revival and judgment that is about to sweep across America. America will not be the same again. And I pray you won't be either. This story will give you some very helpful ideas about what you need to do right now 
to get ready for this wave of God's power that's coming. It begins in January of 1949. I came to the end of the road to Laval, a village nestled in the hill country of the great Andes Mountain. I went with a missionary, Robert Thomas, and a gospel tent. Our purpose was to hold a gospel campaign in a town where, to our knowledge, the gospel had never been preached before. We labored in the hot Andean sun, filling the air with recorded music, visiting every home in the community, distributing tracts and gospel portions. We prayed and prepared messages, yet night after night, no one came. Then came the torrential rains that flooded us out. Still we kept on. But in spite of all of our efforts, witnessing, testifying, preaching, we still had no congregation. The strong man still ruled over the small city. After two weeks of expenses and labors, we were forced to retreat in keen disappointment with absolutely no visible returns. For me, the defeat marked the long trail and the beginning of a new one. I fled him down the ways of my own mind. Could well describe my relationship with God, yet up to that time, there had always been a plausible excuse for the lack of a harvest and the want of results in my ministry. As a child, I had often witnessed mighty outpourings of God, the ministries of servants like Dr. Charles Price and Amy McPherson. Yet I knew these operations were lacking in my own ministry. Still excuses, convenient places to lay the blame provided for my imaginary refuge were the searchlight of God's truth. Always the reason for my failure lay somewhere outside of myself in one place. The people were too hard. In another, it was not harvest time yet. Or it was necessary to sow the seed first. Or the people had no faith. From one pastorate to another, from one mission field to another, the excuses multiplied. True, a certain, a certain work for God had been done. In the eyes of men, there was no need to feel ashamed. But in my own secret heart, I knew there had to be a better way. The ever-faithful Spirit of God did not let my complacency Hinder his purposes. Times without number, the question of Elisha echoed in my soul, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Now in Laval, a town which had never heard of the gospel before, was neither gospel-hardened nor burned over territory. I was faced with the stark reality I had been defeated with every condition favorable 
missionary equipment, complete. A competent missionary evangelist, complete. I had still failed utterly. I was forced to admit that in spite of excellent ministerial training, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit received as a child, there was still an obvious and deadly lack of power in my ministry. The long road of excuses was over. My fleeing ended. God caused me to take inventory of myself. And the results were most disappointing. Bitterly defeated, all defenses overthrown, I was brought by God into a conference of surrender. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, God was saying. Challenging for the surrender of both flesh and the works of flesh. Good as flesh works were, they were unacceptable. God was offering a new way, a way of power, an operation of the Holy Spirit himself released in the ministry of deliverance. Let me stop a moment. This has just described perfectly my situation. Seminary educated masters. Hard work. I remember one time the Lord said to me, I can do more in one day than you can do in your entire lifetime. The terms of God for surrender were that I should spend a minimum of eight consecutive hours daily with him in prayer and his word. If a man could work eight hours a day, a minister could pray as long. Sometimes I remain much longer than the eight hours. At times all day and night, some openly express their disapproval, questioning my sanity, concluding that no one had a right to receive a missionary salary who spent most of his time in prayer and not in traditional minister, missionary activities. Yet I knew that I could not go one step more fooling myself and fleeing from God, I had to accept his challenge. I know, aside, that many of you have fruitless ministries, but you have a, an excuse and you have busy work and you have programs and you have all kinds of things to justify why you have no power in the Holy Spirit. Are you sick of it like I am? Will you let God change you? He goes on, in a little vacant attic room over the garage of the Adobe Church in Mendoza, where I was interim pastor at the time, I began to seek the Lord. I had just, I just had to find God's answers for revival and the moving of the Holy Spirit in Argentina for a divine intervention such as spoken of in the book of Acts, for an operation according to his abilities and not according to my abilities. 
Was it merely wishful thinking? Was it possible for an ordinary man without any other qualifications than a call to the ministry to meet God in such a way that it would be bringing tangible results and visible fruit? Aside, I've been saying, Lord, have I been displeasing you? I don't see the fruit. Am I being too bold in coming to you and saying, look, it has to change. I can't continue this way. And now laid up with a broken leg and a haze of pain much, much of the time, all I can do is cry out to God for mercy. And yet I have to come back and challenge. Is the Holy Spirit for today? Will he move in power today if we will repent before him and trust him? And wait upon him. All of this started when the Holy Spirit said to me, Ray, wait upon the Lord. Okay. The Lord will carry you through. Okay. Ray, enter my rest. I didn't understand any of what he had just said. But now, broken. I'm beginning to understand what God was talking about. Can I have a direct encounter with God? If not, if not, then I am utterly hopeless before a holy God. So often in scripture, God said to man, seek my face but he never tells how it's to be done. Was seeking God's face the prerogative of a few, a limited group of mystics by birth who could climb high on the prophet's mountain? Many unanswered questions led me to one main question. Could a most ordinary man with the most ordinary talent and preparation without any special gifts of mysticism or genius, find God. Was there for such a one a vital contact, a personal encounter with the Lord of glory, a careful search of the scriptures from Abraham to Nehemiah, from Elijah to Peter, seemed to clearly indicate, yes. And by the way, I've never met a man who had that encounter. The closest one I ever had was with David Wilkerson. And I asked him if he would take time and pray with me that this could happen for me. He said, no, Ray, I can't because I've never experienced this. I was devastated. Doubts, questions, fears, Mark the passing of long hours. Where was God? The walls echoed back the barren question. Turmoil, turmoil wrestled within. Was such a demand on God impertinence? Ahead loomed an apparent dead-end street. 
a defeat threatened so final and abysmal that the fear of becoming a strong motive to forge on. Days of fasting, still there was no answer. Endless hours passed, still no windows were opened in the heavens. Weeping, waiting, meditating, searching the word, walking, kneeling, standing, prostrate on the floor. Since no posture, no fasting, no tears, no cries could pierce the silent, invisible barrier which so oppressively closed in upon my being, the days slowly passed, lengthening into weeks, and in my case, into months. God was in no hurry to uncover the secrets of his mysteries. He who had so carefully hid the diamonds deep in the earth for only the most diligent of seekers to find, did not hurry to reveal his hiding place to the one who aspired to visit his treasury. The seeking and digging was necessary. Two months passed, and eternity fit into time. Not a breeze stirred in the spiritual world. Not even a tiny cloud the size of a man's hand appeared. Then the enemy brought an almost successful attack to halt the search. Set God a date. Surely by now you know you are mistaken. There's no use going on indefinitely. A date was set. God, if at the end of this week, Saturday evening at five o'clock, you don't manifest yourself, then I will know that I am mistaken. I will go out with tracks, returning to the conventional missionary routine. And surely God, knowing I was sincere, would be forced to move out from his hiding place. But still no breeze stirred in the infinite wisdom and patience that God held his peace. And the end of the week drew near. The five o'clock hour arrived, and still God had done nothing. With unutterable bitterness of soul, with tears of frustration and defeat welling up from the depths within, I filled my pockets with tracks and slowly walked down the long hill which led to the street. God had not answered. At that moment, in God's precise timing, a local pastor arrived with his teenage unconverted son. During the visit, the pastor poured out his troubles at great length. Minutes became hours. It was impossible to do the proposed house-to-house -house visitation and tract distribution. As the two visitors prepared to leave, I asked the boy a searching question. One would lead to another until the young boy was on his face, sobbing his way to Calvary. The two finally left. In the darkness of the hall, with a door behind Scarcely closed, a voice within me said, You see, son, when I wish I can bring them in, now return to prayer until I tell you it's time to leave. So back I went again into that little attic room for more weeks of waiting and prayer and the word. Months went by until time lost all of its meaning. Then one day, no different from all the others, 
without any advance warning, a word was spoken into the very air of the room, a word that vibrated into the depths and out again into the heights. Upon that word, the mighty presence of God came and filled the whole world, it seemed, in a voice that seemed fully audible. A special message was then given. The separating veil was rent. Glory shone all around. I was in the spirit. God had come to just an ordinary man. He had he'd been willing to speak to an ordinary person to bring forth his purposes. His reality was manifest. His word fully vindicated. He'd not said, seek ye my face in vain. For weeks the heavens were opened in in spirit. I saw things unlawful to be uttered. Then a strange order was given. Go call the people to prayer. I will pour out my spirit upon them. Tell them to come prepared to stay from eight until midnight. If they had not prepared to stay the entire time, the four hours, they must not come at all. Could such an order be of the Lord? Just a while previously, a most convenient hour had been chosen for prayer meeting, and not one person had come. And now at an inconvenient hour, who would be interested enough to come? The prosaic order was unspectacular and oversimple. Naaman had expected the prophet to at least strike his hands over the place of the affliction, anticipating a dramatic appearance of some kind. God's ways are not our ways. He gave this command and expected it to be obeyed literally. I must confess that I had many doubts. I knew my few church people and their lethargy and their lack of interest in the things of God. If there were any response at all, I knew it would have to be of God. God was beginning to teach us the importance of simple, explicit obedience. In Eden, it was not the quality of fruit consumed that brought such chaos. It was the quality of disobedience which revealed a deep rebellion to the rule of God and separated man from his God. Implicit, simple obedience is the only way that leads back into the presence of God and restores the relationship with him. The invitation made to the little church group that following Sunday was most unnatural and difficult to fulfill. Cold winter weather, an unheated building, lack of transportation after the midnight hour all combined to make it difficult to respond to such a call. Nevertheless, three indicated their willingness to attend the proposed prayer meeting. These three came, a timid servant lass, a backslidden man and his young wife. Not one of them had ever been filled by the Holy Spirit. 
small church and many like it in Argentina at that time had never experienced any manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They did not know to receive the Holy Spirit nor what it would be like when he came. We spent some time the first night instructing them according to the scriptures and then we all knelt in prayer before the Lord. They waited in absolute silence. I led out in prayer and praise and song, but no one joined me. They merely waited on in silence. When the four hours had passed, I asked if anyone had received any impulse from the Lord that would call for any cooperation on his part. Had any of them any impulse to pray, to praise the Lord, to sing a song, in fact, anything at all? Everyone answered, in the negative, except the young wife, she admitted a strange desire to arise and walk to the table in the center of the room and to, to strike it. Surely that was a bit strange, being too far to be proud and even consider such a thing. She said, oh, it would be very foolish, nor could she be persuaded to even try. Thus, the first prayer meeting ended. I want to stop just a moment. On YouTube right now, we have only three people who are with us. That gives you a very clear indication. I've read this story so many times, and every time the Holy Spirit speaks to me, This is not entertainment. This is training. There has to be a desperate change in the church. There should be 10,000 on the line. But no, the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. I don't know what to say or think except to confess before God my utter incompetence and lack of the Holy Spirit. Again, I went before the Lord. I had fulfilled his command and nothing had happened. What should we do now? The Lord only said to wait and gather again for prayer. The next night, the same group returned to seek the Lord. The second night was an exact repetition of the night before. During the, the four silent hours, no one felt the slightest impulse from the Lord save the same woman who confessed to having the same strange desire. The same thing had happened the night before. The meeting ended, dismal failure. I was certain no one would return the following night. Could this be the Lord? A thing so strange and so out of the ordinary? To, to desire to, to rap on a table? Nothing like this had ever been mentioned in the Bible. Why had God not moved? Why did he delay if he had given the command together for prayer? The third night, the same three joined my wife and me for another evening of prayer, a backslidden, called to be preacher, 
his wife, and his servant lass. The result was another evening of silent waiting, another evening of no response to any urging or promptings of the Holy Spirit. When the service was nearly over, I asked the man's wife if she still felt the, the striking the table. With much shame and blushing, she admitted that she did, but in no way could be persuaded to do it. How difficult it is for man to learn to know the voice of God. Thrice God called Samuel, and thrice Samuel thought it was the voice of Eli. Only the fourth time did he learn that it was God speaking. Several times God had spoken to this young woman. Somehow I knew it was God speaking. Had he not ordered these prayer services, and would he not fulfill the promise of manifesting himself? But the woman would not obey. Thursday night, everything continued on as on the previous evenings until 11 o'clock. When I ask everyone to get up from their knees and be seated, young lady, I ask, do you still feel like hitting that table? In shame and reluctance, she confessed to the same strange desire, but she would not get up to do it. So I ask everyone to, to rise. Singing a chorus, we all marched around the table. Each one gathered courage to strike the table. Finally, the young woman also took courage, and she reached out, and when she hit the table, immediately a rushing wind swept into the room from the southeast corner. In seconds, the retiring, timid servant lass was on her feet worshiping the Lord with great ecstasy. Her hands raised in the air. Her face was transformed, radiating the joy and glory of the Lord as she spoke in an unknown tongue. The backslidden, rebellious man who had consistently resisted the call of God over his life was under the table and there began to worship the Lord in another tongue as the Spirit gave utterance. His young wife seeing what was taking place, cried out in a loud voice, all timidity is now gone. I too, Lord, lest the Spirit should pass her by. Upon her toes, the river of the Holy Spirit flowed, baptizing her in his presence. And she broke forth in a strange tongue. Although we didn't realize it at the time, the Holy Spirit was being outpoured not only upon us, but upon the whole of Argentina in a new way, an outpouring that would last and reach out in the furthest corner of this mighty country. An act as simple obedience had opened the door, and God had set in motion the forces to change this vast pagan country and make of it a Christian nation. The move of God for which so many had prayed had come. Faith had triumphed. All the prayers and tears and longing and countless hours of wrestling with the enemy had at last prevailed. Faith changed into sight, and we entered the stream of his mighty purpose for which so many had longed and prayed, yet had never seen. In June of 1949, the presence of God began to flow 
out of Argentina. The news of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit traveled swiftly. More people came out to the prayer service the next night. From then on, neither cold nor danger nor anything else hindered the people from coming to be filled with the Holy Spirit. A 14-year-old girl, having little education, saw a vision of things to come. Many of those visions have come to pass. At times she prophesied, quoting scripture she had never learned nor read. Felix, a young man, received the word of knowledge and saw things hidden in vision. One night he admonished, admonished a retired school teacher through the word of knowledge to clear her home of idols. She replied in hurt amazement that there were no idols in her home. Then God gave Felix a vision, showing him a certain trunk of hers. With a pile of religious relics at the bottom, it was true the relics, keepsakes left by her deceased mother, had been there for so many years she had forgotten them. God lifted his hand against all idolatry. Word of the revival went out. More and more new people came. All who came were saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit. During those months, the church did not have one member who was not filled with the Holy Spirit. As soon as they were saved, they received the Holy Spirit, and often before receiving the baptism in water. Brother Thomas, who had labored with me in the disastrous Laval tent campaign, made a special trip north to visit us. Various ministries in, in Buenos Aires, having heard the reports of the moving of the Spirit in Mendoza, sent Ben Thomas to make a first-hand report, having pastored the Mendoza church as one. He already knew the people and looked, looking upon the gloriously transformed people, all praising God and moving in the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He said, this is a miracle. This is a God. This is God. Only God could do this with these people. Before he had studies on the gifts and operations of the Holy Spirit, and there was no response. And, and now the people were manifesting the same gifts. In weeks, the little church doubled, redoubled its membership, the people formed into little bands and went out to witness for the Lord. On the streets and into the homes they went in the power of the Holy Spirit, returning with glorious testimonies of what God was doing in response to their simple faith and witnessing. People were saved and healed as hands were laid upon them in faith. I listened attentively and the Lord seemed to speak again and say, You see, son? I can do much more with these little Spanish-speaking ones filled with the Holy Spirit than I could with your going out alone with tracks from door to door, door to door. Having cleansed the church by the purifying of the Holy Spirit and put it into order, the Lord began to lead out even more in the ministry of healing. We held a campaign in the tent this time it was not a failure. The Lord worked his wonders. One night there was such a moving of the Spirit 
that all present, whether saved or unsaved, went on their knees before the Lord, crying out to him as a mighty word of prophecy went forth in the name of Jesus. All knelt before him that night, confessed him as Lord over all. When his spirit swept over its mighty power, no one could resist his presence. Overnight, the Lord had transformed the Mendoza church. Instead of a few struggling, uninterested church members, our church was full. Instead of cold silence in the worship service, joyous rejoicing took its place. In place of singing, singing in the place of death, life in the place of defeat. The victory of God had come to us in Mendoza. The desert had become a fruitful place. But as the goal of the river is to flow ever outward, seeking new channels, it could not be confined to Mendoza. Before long, invitations came to visit other churches and towns. So leaving Felix, the native pastor in charge of Mendoza work, we turned southward. Invite the people to pray. Invite the people to pray. I looked around me at the large congregation of Slavic-speaking folk. The long preliminary program had finally finished, and the pastor had announced that I would speak. And now the only word the Lord gave me was, Invite the people to pray. What kind of message was that? But having begun some months before to walk the road of implicit obedience, so what I felt was the word of the Lord. I opened the, the command. I obeyed the command. Inviting the people to pray, immediately they went down on their knees before I had time to realize what was happening and the Holy Spirit began to fall on the group of about 400 people. They began to cry out, Several received the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Others, with cries of repentance, sought their way back to the cross. The pastor, astonished, wholly unaccustomed to these manifestations in his church, rang a bell to call the people to order. Obediently, they became silent and took their seats again. And now boomed the pastor, notably perturbed, in a deep, commanding voice, Brother Miller will speak. God had not changed his mind. So when I arose to speak, my words were these, Brethren, let's pray. Down on their knees the people went. No sooner had they begun to pray than the Holy Spirit began to move upon them. The noise increased until the pastor, unable to tolerate any more Deviation from the customary ultra-formalism and ritualism rang his little bell, called the people to attention, and soundly scolded them. They obeyed. The service was returned to me to preach the accustomed sermon. But God's sermon still had only the same word. Brother, and God is here, let's pray. Down on their knees they went for the third time. Again, the same process, the bell ringing, the scolding, the service returned to me, the repetition of the call to prayer. The people down on their knees again, the Holy Spirit outpoured. But the fourth time, there was no more little bell and no more scolding. 
the Holy Spirit continued to move. Unoffended, unoffended by the repeated interruptions, the pastor stood by, obeying till he himself was moved upon by the Holy Spirit and began to call out to God. At last the pastor had understood that the people were not out of hand, but in God's hand. For hours, great crying and groaning ascended in terrible conviction. Some wrestled for pardon. Others shouted in mighty victory for the for the praise of Zion. Others spoke in unknown tongues. The Holy Spirit was right there. Did you learn anything? Do you see what God wants to do? God wants to come in mighty power. And he is going to come in a mighty sweep of power. But he's also coming in a mighty sweep of judgment against sinners and cold-hearted, lukewarm Christians who have no interest in the Holy Spirit. I've preached this message. I've preached the word of God straight and fiery and clean to you month after month, year after year, and no result, almost no result. And then I fell. And now I'm going into the fifth month of prayer and waiting upon God for this mighty power of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray for me? Sometimes it's been in a haze of pain. Sometimes it's been almost pain-free. I'm not going to go to the doctor. I've gone to the doctor, Jesus. I am in his hands. I'm not going to walk the way of the world. I'm going to walk in total faith and confidence that Jesus will do what he said in his promises. It's time to get serious with with Jesus. It's time to get serious with the Holy Spirit. He's not going to come as we continue our entertainment. As you continue walking with your personal entertainment, listening to all the sweet Jesus stuff. He's not going to come. You're going to have to set aside time and get on your face before Almighty God. And you're going to have to ask him to come. And he won't say yes in an hour. For me so far, I'm entering the fifth month. Will I stop? No. Will my leg heal? No. My leg won't heal. Can these bones live? Yes. The Holy Spirit is coming in power. 
My life depends on that. I'm not going to turn aside. I'm not going to be taunted by the devil through family or friends. I'm going to wait on the Holy Spirit. And in one day, Jesus will accomplish more than I could accomplish in my whole life. My faith is in Jesus. And I'm being tested. I think there were two people who gave last week. I'm in a battle. I'll stay here as long as there's resources and I can pay the radio bill. I'm trusting Jesus. So, I want to say to you, get serious with Jesus. Get serious with the Holy Spirit. And join me in waiting upon him. I invite you to come to the worship service this Sunday. That is for men and women who want to wait upon the Lord. Men and women who are ready to sell out. And are willing to open their hearts to prepare the way for the coming wave. That's going to hit the shores of America. Let's pray. Lord, I come today waiting upon you, facing the silence, waiting upon you, facing the silence, waiting upon you, knowing that you will come I thank you. Thank you for this encouraging word on Argentina. Lord, you said, I'm going to send a great wave of revival to Argentina. If they refuse it, my great judgments will begin to fall upon Argentina. And it looks like the great judgments are beginning to fall on Argentina. Because many of your people have become cold-hearted and have turned aside to entertainment. But now, Lord, it's America's turn. But this time it's going to come with judgments. Terrifying judgments. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We haven't made much progress, but we're going to by the Spirit. You can write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go on our internet, your internet, nationalprayerchapel.com there you'll find our meeting place 
and you'll find a place where you can give online. I thank you for each one of you who has given. I thank you for your kindness. But most of all, I thank you for your love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Things are going to change. Dramatically change. I wait on you, Jesus. Almighty God. I pray today for those who have heard this broadcast and who have such a longing in their heart for the coming of the Holy Spirit and those who have such a longing in their heart that America be turned and such a longing in your heart that you could be touched by the Spirit and healed of the physical pain and anguish that you've been suffering. Oh, Lord, come, please. Hear the cry of our hearts. We desperately need you, Jesus. We can't do this without you. We can't do it alone. I can't make it. I don't have the endurance or the courage to make it through this anguish. It's you alone who can give me that courage and give Twyla that courage. Lord, come quickly, please. And save us. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. If you're serious, come Sunday. If you're not, don't. It's that simple. We'd love to see you. You would be very welcome. But don't come if this is not serious for you. I love you. This is Ray Greenlee from National Prayer Chapel. I'll talk to you soon. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.